from StartupSec with another Sacramento Startups Podcast Founder AMA episode. Our May StartupSec Happy Hour featured Sacramento serial entrepreneur Sonny Mayuba. In addition to his current role as Chief Marketing Officer of Waiter, Sonny is the founder of several local restaurants and has a long history in the local startup community, having launched several ventures over the years. In this podcast, Sonny shares his entrepreneurial journey and fields questions from the audience about running startups. Check it out. Thank you all very much. Good to see a lot of familiar faces here, some friends I know, some people I've worked with before, and a lot of new faces. Uh, I'll start by saying thank you to Jeff and Laura for the tireless work they do for the startup scene in Sacramento. That's really awesome. Yeah. Woo! You're the queen of startups in Sac, and it's great for what you do. Yeah, my new title is The Dead Mother. Yeah. <laughs> Can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Yeah, okay, good. Because, yeah, as I've learned, you know, we might as well be in, you know, Iowa as far as Silicon Valley is concerned about that right now. So it's good what you do to promote all the companies and the founders here. So um, I'll start off with a little bit of background about myself. And then, yeah, we'll get into, I guess, a big group discussion. Is that right? Yeah. Basically, it's yeah, a question and answer group. I love that. I love that. Um, so I'm a Sacramento native, and I grew up here. And I was um, raised by a single mother who was one of 12 kids and a fruit picker. So I didn't have advantages. So, so kind of like lesson number one, if you think, oh, I need more, you know, I need more advantages, trust me, you just got to do the work, right? So I was, I was born and raised here, and I came up, and my first, I'd say my first real startup was... Um, wanting to be a musician. I, like, I really wanted to be a rock star. Like, I really, really badly wanted to be like ACDC. It was like my favorite band. I was in fifth grade. And so um, I played guitar and I was in some bands. And I think that's where I like truly cut my teeth on startups was, which, it was before they were called startups. It was just a band, right? You have to like write some songs. First you have to build a team, right? And that's like hard. You got like four or five artists who all think they're like, they already are rock stars, even though they're like broken, you know, unknown. <laughs> um, so you have to form a team, and then you have to create a product. That product has to, happens to be music or some kind of some form of entertainment. Uh, and then you have to like go out and you know book shows and like then promote your shows and gain fans and do all those things. And it's hard. I mean, it is a really, really, really hard business to make it entertaining. Um, obviously, I didn't make it entertaining. But I think I learned a lot from that experience. And I ended up um, going, to, going to college for a little bit here in Sac at City College. And when my band broke up, that I thought was gonna be like the most famous band in the world, I decided I was gonna like, you know, just go to college and just be a civilian, just, you know, go to school and get a job. And so I got a phone call one day. Um, I was actually living out of a storage shed on 16th Street, just kind of couch surfing in my, you know, 20, 21, just kind of trying to figure out life. And I got a phone call that a friend of mine had a bicycle messenger service. And he was going to allow me, they had bike messengers and they had car messengers. But I owned this little 100, like Suzuki 100 motorcycle. And he said, hey, maybe you could do the middle ground messenger deliveries. And so I started doing that, and a mentor there at that business 
actually asked me if I wanted to like start a snowboard magazine. Yeah, which was really crazy. And so, he, you know, I said yes. And I was like, will it feed me like, you know, any food at all? If, if so, the answer is yes. And so, it was kind of crazy. This was this was like 1993, and my friend John Bachalupi, he was my mentor. He was like the first guy I ever knew with a computer. He had a, he had a Mac II that was like 10 grand. You know, he had to finance a Mac II. It's a pirate software. <laughs> um, and we had we knew a photographer that lived with all these pro snowboarders and pro skaters on 28th and I. And I had the gift of gab. He was like, look, I think you can sell advertising. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And the answer is yes, I will do it. <laughs> and so he gave me copies of some skate bags and some snowboard magazines and ski magazines. And he said, look, just sit your, I got an apartment by this time, by the way. Sit in your apartment and I want you to call these 1-800 numbers and ask them to do an ad in our magazine. The magazine didn't exist, by the way. So I'd call these 800 numbers. You know, it would be like Burton Snowboards and Sims and Rosignol, you know, all these names you gotta know. And I would say, hey, this is Sunny, we're doing this magazine called Heckler, would you do an ad in our magazine? No, okay, click, you just hang up, you just keep asking. And finally someone says, yeah, I'm kinda interested, how much? I don't know. Uh, 500 bucks. Well, what's your circulation? I don't know. What's circulation? Click. <laughs> oh, shit, John, you got to tell. Well, what's circulation? Oh, that's how many magazines we distribute. Oh, okay. Good to know. I didn't know that. Remember, I'm a guitar player from Sacto. I don't know any of this stuff. So, you know, then the next, you know, you keep calling and keep calling, and finally someone says, Yeah, I'll do an ad. I'll trade you a snowboard for your back cover. How's that sound? I'm like, Done. Yes. <laughs> Um, and so that was, yeah, it's crazy. That was 1993, and um, that was like my first mentor. And, and, you know, can't be understated. This guy, John, really taught me sort of everything about business in as far as a startup goes, and, and really like truly the do-it-yourself culture and like building something from the ground up. That magazine came out in September of 1993. It was 16 pages. Two of them were color, the rest were black and white. And it was like, you know, like one of those big old rags you find like in the streets that you know got your hands all black from the ink. And but I had sold a bunch of ads in there and we took a bunch of pictures, we did some stories, and we got it printed in Galt, California. We made a product and the product got delivered to our uh, porch on 28th and I, our buddy's porch. And we drove around in our van or in our, our truck and just put them in skate shops and ski resorts and Sacramento and California, Lake Tahoe. And I thought, wow, that was a really fun project, that'll be it. So we ended up doing another one, and then another one, and then another one that just kept going. And so, you know, I was probably making about, I think I looked back, you know Social Security sends you those little statements of like your life, I mean, some of you are too young, but as you get older, you'll get these little statements that are like, here's what you've made every year for the last 20 years. I think I was doing like, I don't know, 680 bucks a year. It was low, really, really low. <laughs> But I was living, it was really fun. It was a great year of my life. So we were building this little magazine as a hobby and kind of for fun. And then um, I was still going to City College, and then I got a scholarship to Columbia University. Now, by the way, I'm like 23 now, you know? Like, and I have nothing. Like, I'm just, just you know, you just, it just sucked, right? Yeah. And so I told John we were on a ski lift at Boreal. By this point, we were getting some free lift tickets. We got some free snowboard gear. And we're, we're riding up at Boreal. I said, hey, I got to tell you something. We had done, like, I think, three issues. 
I go, dude, I'm gonna go to college, I think. You know, and I'm gonna try and get a life, you know, and like, yeah, own something. And he goes, fuck college. He goes, don't go to college. Mind you, he had a college degree. He goes, college is stupid, don't go. And I'll never forget this, he goes, I think this hacker thing could be pretty cool. And I'll tell you something, college will always be there. But these types of opportunities rarely come in your life. And like right there, I went, okay. <laughs> so I never answered that scholarship. We ended up doing that book, which I think turned out to be an amazing thing for me. In March of 94, I, I got a phone call from a, a woman to place an ad. And actually, I came home and I was living with this guy in an apartment at Chrysler Manor on 23rd and I, if you guys know where that is. It's like a roach infested, crazy spot. And it was me and another dude, we lived in a one bedroom studio. So I lived in the kitchen, like on this little futon mattress. And I had a little phone right there by a homemade desk. And I come home one day, and my roommate, who I was fighting with, he's like, hey, some chick calls you from Polygram Records. I'm like, oh my god, Polygram Records, because there's only like little skateboard companies were advertising with us. You know, Polygram was the biggest record company in the world in 93, before you were born. <laughs> and so, I call back, anyway, that woman ended up being my wife, that some of you know, Lynn, who's still, we're still married today, by the way, like my best friend, she's awesome. So like, really amazing things happened to me. We built this business up slowly, and it was, it was really incredible. And at 25, we sold the company to Times Mirror. It was like this giant, conglomerate, you know, corporate publisher. So I was 25 years old, I got a taste of my first exit, and it was sort of like, wow, this is, this is it, you know? Um, and then we, we ended up running that company for another six years. It was like 10 years of our life. It was really, really cool. Um, so I got to do that, it was like my first real startup, and there's a good lesson in here. I came out of that, you know, 10 years, right? You know, I traveled the world, hit six of the seven continents, Hanging out with Tony Hawk all the time and, and ACDC. I actually went to Sydney with ACDC. And I led the first X Games on, in, on the Great Wall of China. And these things you can't pay for that action sports took me through. And so when you, when you leave that world, you think, you know, remember I was 23 when I started. So I come out, I was 32, 32 or 30 years old. And I just thought, man, I was the smartest dude in the world. I mean, I was so good at what I did. It was crazy. And so I ended up doing a few other things. And then I said, you know what? I know the future. And it's social networking. And so I started a social network. <laughs> and, um, and it was funny. It was really right. I was right on time. It was like 06 when I thought of it. I think Facebook had a million or two million people. MySpace was the king back then. And... I had this vision that video was going to be king of social and different profile types were going to be. You know, back then, you only had one profile type. So, we, so, so I set out to do this, raise some money, and was going to build this amazing social network that was going to be the biggest thing in the world. And I was really right about everything, but I made every mistake possible. Like, as a CEO, and I was, you, when you have like a success, you think that you're just right on everything. And I, I kind of did a lot of things wrong. And that thing just crashed and burned really hard. And I got like my ass handed to me on that. It was one of the worst feelings I ever had. I kind of swore I'd never have that feeling again. You know, the feeling of losing other people's money is the worst. 
Even though it's venture, it's still the worst feeling. And failing, it sucks. But I probably got my, my best lessons from that experience. I really, really learned a lot about um, investing in product, investing in your team, you know, um, listening, <laughs> keyword, listening. Because <laughs> uh, it's really easy as a founder, a lot of you, how many of you are founders in here? So there's a lot of founders, okay? So not half of you guys are founders. So you know, as a founder, one of the hardest things is knowing when you're right and when you should just listen. Sometimes you're right, sometimes you're, you gotta listen. It's, it's a tough one. So anyway, I did that, kind of came out of that, did, some, did a few other things. Um, and then, I, um, I got a phone call from my friend, Randy Perigary, who was trying to get me into the restaurant business. I'd worked for him a little bit. And the more I worked for him, the more I learned about that business, and the, the less I you know, like most founders, you, the idea of owning a bar sounds like a great idea. But as I learned more about the business, the more I was like, God, I don't want to do that. It seems crazy. And so it was really weird. He called me one. He kept, he kept calling me all the time. Hey, you should do this restaurant with me. You should do this restaurant with me. And I'd tell him no, but I'd give him all these creative ideas around it. And then one day he called me and said, hey, there's this, there's this location available, and you should be a part of it. And it turns out to be 28th of J. And it was a really weird experience. By this point, I was like working for someone else and just kind of living, right? And it was a really weird experience. As you know, as the founders know, he asked me to do this, and my mind said no, but I instantly knew like what I wanted to do there. And so I said yes, <laughs> and, and I had this vision of creating, you know, this is 2011, by the way, of creating a cocktail bar, a really high-end cocktail bar, but with like blue-collar peasant food, which is kind of how I grew up, like, you know, family food. Um, and, and also applying some things I'd learned. You know, and it was a really weird moment for me. Like, I kind of looked in the mirror and said, you know, I had, like I said, it's a success or two, and I said it's a failure or two. But it was like that moment when you go, are you a founder or not, right? Are you an entrepreneur or not? And so I decided at that moment that I was. And I said, you know, it's like 80% failure rate in the business within 60 months, very low margins, as we all know. It's a tough business. But I'm like, I need to do this. And I applied some of the things I learned. You know, um, we started, that was the Red Rabbit on 28th of Jane. So I founded the Red Rabbit, and I did a couple things differently. So the first thing I did was I assembled a team and gave them full domain control over the product. Now, I had a concept, but I'm like, you guys know how to build a product. You guys build a product. How you want to build a product. And I took those two guys, and I gave them like a chunk of equity in the business. Like, no money in and no vesting period. Now, by the way, I wouldn't suggest that, but that's just what I do. <laughs> Always do a vesting period, but I, that's what I needed to do. And, and then I took their salary, whatever market rate salary is for managers, and I upped it by 15%. And then I took 5% of that company and I built into the operating agreement essentially like a phantom stock pool that was basically like an employee profit sharing pool. So all things that were really very counterintuitive to the restaurant business, right? Um, and that was like nearly eight years ago. Uh, you know, and, and it was crazy. It was the same process. I had a concept. Um, <laughs> we, we, it, 
it's a long story I'll run around. But anyway, we got it up and running. And one of my, two of my investors are actually here, which is really cool to see you guys. Glad you're here. And, um, you know, it really worked. It's interesting. That business does really well. We've done 10 cash distributions to our employees, which is such a cool thing in this business because yeah. that doesn't really happen very often. Um, and it was good for me as a founder just to sort of do something that you can, you, know, you can apply more when you when you start to find your real core values, like what you really believe in, and you get to apply them on a, on a venture you start. So that was really neat. So I started that, and um, out of that, I kind of had this vision about connecting merchants with a closer relationship with consumers, kind of one-to-one -one one through mobile. That's kind of a broad statement, but what I, what I was hoping to achieve was basically helping merchants attract the right customers. Because what I learned is not every customer is right for every place. Not every place wants every customer. Counterintuitive to what you think. You open a restaurant, you're like, well, let me just get everybody in here. That's not right. You want to find the right people who will love what you do and resonate with your offering or your service or your brand, especially in the early stages. So I started this mobile app that was attempting to do that via dynamic pricing. It's called Requested. And again, I assembled a team. So it was me and three software engineers here in Sacramento. And um, I was set out to solve that problem. This is like 2014-ish, 2015. And we built it. We built a mobile that was really complicated. You know, um, it was, and, and this is kind of what I was telling my EV friends, which I love their idea, is that you know the thing you start out and you envision is most likely not where you're, where you're going to end up. And you can ask Airbnb and a lot of other companies. Like, rarely do you end up where you started. Um, so the vision that I had was that you know consumers could name their own price at restaurants and bars, no matter what. Right, it's a great it's a great idea. People love the idea. It's a neat idea. It's really, really hard to solve. No one, by the way, nobody solved it to this day. So if you can solve it, you will be a billionaire. It's a neat idea. Merchants want it. The merchants really want it. But it's hard to make the, the customer experience seamless. It's really tough. So basically the, the idea was that you would say, you know, I, I'm gonna go out during an off-peak time and I want to pay less, or I'm gonna go out during a peak time and I'm gonna pay more to pump side. That's the concept, right? Pretty simple idea. Um, so we ended up launching it, and you know it, it kind of worked. The, the, the game changer for me was we got to go through. We launched a couple alphas that were really close and small here to Sac. But what was awesome for me is we got into a really, really high-end incubator in Silicon Valley called Launch Incubator, uh, run by a guy named Jason Calacanis, who's one of the biggest angels, probably the most active angel in the world. 180 investments, a lot, a lot, a lot of neat guys. Very, very, it's like, it's like a Laura and Jeff. You know, <laughs> like a big stack of, of founder tools. And so, so we went through that program and it was really neat. We got to hone the product, it was a really great experience. So if you're a founder, and you, I mean, incubators are a really, really good thing. Highly recommend them. They're, I mean, good ones. Go through good ones. You know, this one gives you money, access to really, really high-end people. We ended up getting funded by a lot of elite investors down the valley. It was really cool. And they're, it's really candid. It helps you with your product, helps you with your pitch, helps you with you know, everything. Team. So, so we came out of that, and we're kind of, you kind of come out of these incubators, kind of back to that feeling I had before, like, oh my god, we're going to conquer the world. I'm so smart. Like, we are going to be huge. And then you launch, and it kind of like, 
doesn't work. A lot of people top of the funnel and the conversion rate really low at the end, at the bottom of the funnel. So we kept tweaking on the product, tweaking on the product. And, and it was a really, there was a really good lesson in here too. Well, before we came out of the incubator, we had like some massive funds wanting to write us huge checks. I mean, like $25 billion checks. Because this idea is really big, it's a big idea. And it was funny, like in talking with my co-founder, sometimes you can listen too much. I want to take all. And like my co one of my co-founders was like, no way, dude. This idea is so huge. If we give equity away now, we're dead. Bad idea, yeah. Bad move. Someone writes you a $25 million check, take it. You know why? Run away. So it was weird. We, you know, we sent no to some big checks um, because it was, and, and my co-founder was a first-time founder. It was interesting. But I listened, you know, I was like, you could be right, right? Because, you know, it's nice to have that good to play with later. So anyway, so we only had so much money, and by that point, and this is an interesting lesson too, climates change. So we raised in March, April of 15, and everything was so frothy. Like the valley was just like frothy as hell. And then we were running out of money by December. And we went back, and January was the worst VC month in history. Like eight months later. Because it goes like that, right? Really quickly. You never know where it's going to be. <coughs> and so we couldn't raise a dime, right? Um, but it was interesting. At that moment, I, I had to make a decision, like, to give up or not. I mean, really, that was the decision point. Like, this sucks. You know, we had nine people on staff. The founders were not getting paid. You know, we're running out of cash. We're living in Sac, we're paying 300 bucks a month for an office. I mean, I mean, it was really slim. And like, there's these little glimpses of hope, and you got to decide. You know, your company's not going to work. Like, requested was not going to work. Make no mistake, it was not going to work. Certainly with the revenue we had. And so. You gotta decide at that moment, like, am I just gonna let this thing burn down, or what am I gonna do? So I kind of, it was interesting, and I think this is a lot of the learnings I had from other projects I've done, and I just go, there's no way I'm gonna give up. And so I devised like four things. One, I went out to raise more money, ended up actually raising a little more, extended our runway. Two, we, we tried to sell a company, couldn't sell a company, but kept trying. Three, we ended up creating a licensing model. So sometimes you have to like listen to the tea leaves, right? We had a lot of people calling us and want, they love this idea. Everybody loved the idea of naming your own price at restaurants and bars. It makes sense. A lot of Italians have to be out there sitting at full price. If it's super full and you want a table now, pay a little more. It's dynamic, right? Just like hotels and airlines. So we had a lot of other organizations who wanted to license our software, we would never do it. We're like, screw that, let's make a licensing model. So we built an entire white label stack in a month with an entire licensing like business stack and sold the customer. And then four, trying to make it work. So we were like running these four paths simultaneously, like never giving up, never giving up. And it was crazy because I sold this customer, ironically, I sold a customer in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, while I was in New York City, totally randomly. 
And um, you know, it's like, great, a little more runway, right? We raise a little money, a little more runway. Got a license deal, raise a little bit more runway. Keep, keep the staff on, keep the dream alive. And then what was really crazy that happened was, I was out, we sold the customer, that was all done. We're like, okay, great. We had more customers in the pipeline. We're like, okay, maybe we'll just be a SaaS B2B. All right, nothing wrong with that, let's make it work. So I'm, I'm selling customers, I get a phone call from my one customer in Baton Rouge, he says, hey, can you come out and teach my salespeople how to sell this thing? It was basically the exact same model. And I told him, I go, dude, there's gonna be friction, it's not gonna work. He goes, ah, you guys, you guys don't know how to market, is what he told me, literally. He's like, you don't know marketing. Trust me, we're gonna make this sucker work. And so, I go, you're probably right. He goes, but come out and teach my salespeople how to sell this thing into the merchants. I go, dude, line up 20 appointments, I'll close all 20. And he did, and we did, close them all. But while I'm out selling these restaurants, everywhere I go to, they're just like, oh my God, I love this idea. You're gonna get butts and seats for me in, in the four walls. You should partner with this other company called Waiter. They do my food delivery. But mind you, it's 2016, you know, I'm from California, where like, I thought the jury was out on food delivery, like, long ago, right? I'm like, waiter, I've never heard of these guys, this is my space. So, the next restaurant, and these restaurants just like, love this company. I mean, loved it, they just thought it was the coolest thing, I'm like, it's food delivery, man. So, again, scrappy entrepreneur, you always gotta be thinking. So I get home, I'm sort of like, man, you know, like, like all third-party software middleware, we provided a tablet into the merchant, and that cost money, cost us cash. And so I was like, dude, this guy's already got the iPad in there. I saw it. You know, our merchant app is iOS. Maybe we can get our merchant app on his iPad. Saves me a few bucks. I'll do a rev share. So I emailed the founder, and, and I said, hey, you know, um, can we have a chat? I'm launching this app in your neck of the woods. Uh, I got an idea. So he calls me right away, and he goes, what's going on? I go, here's what the app is, and, and remember, I'm pitch mode still. I'm like, requested, you can name your own price, it does all this, it does all that, da, da, da. And he's like, why are you launching Baton Rouge? You're in California. So I tell him, I go, we're having trouble out here, it's not working. And he goes, well, let me guess why. And he nails, like, every problem we have. I'm like, how'd you know that? He goes, waiter started as the exact same thing. It was the weirdest thing. 2,000 miles away, in a town called Lake Charles, Louisiana. And Waiter started in Gainesville, Florida at the 20, like 2013, 2014 um, startup weekend. Yeah. And so he goes, yeah, we started as a dining app where you would like, you know, bid and order. Very similar, a couple differences, but basically the same thing. And he goes, the business process transformation is too much friction. I go, exactly what I'm experiencing. And he goes, well, what's going on with you guys? I go, I, I, like, let me tell you my real story now. So I'm like, we're traveling all these things. All these things. And he goes, what if we came together? And it was really cool. And I'm like, let's do it. I'm totally down. So it was really neat to meet another founder and you know I talked to the team. And it's it's a it's a challenge too as a founder. You know, you have this dream of you know creating something new. Like requested never existed. Nobody's ever built a name your own price engine for restaurants and bars. And I built it and, and you just dream it to be so big and so you know ubiquitous. And when it doesn't happen, it's painful. <laughs> But you also have to stop and go, wait, we're trying to get somewhere, right? And so it was cool. Chris and I came together, and at that point, Waiter was in like three markets, you know, Lake Charles and Baton Rouge, not in Baton Rouge yet, Lake Charles and, uh, and, and Lafayette, and then a couple suburbs of Houston, Texas, and um, he said, dude, why don't we combine it? And it turned out we had a lot of things that came, came together for our two teams. 
a whole other long story, but we ended up merging and um, we built that company up. That was, that was um, April of 20, 2016. And we took that company from uh, you know, those three markets and you know, I think we had a few hundred drivers back then to now 700 cities in the US. We've got 23,000 drivers on staff, W2. Um, and then, you know, last year we got acquired, we took the company public on NASDAQ, all the way. So wow. From, from startup to all the That's way public on NASDAQ. Wow. It was a really good experience as a founder, very, very rare to do that. We have to ring the bell in New York, which is pretty neat. That yeah, was pretty awesome. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's a lot of the learnings along the way from little tiny startups to bigger startups to all those things. And so, so that happened in November last year. You know, I'm still with the company. Um, a few of my co-founders have exited out or done, but I'm, I took the CMO role. So I'm still working with the company to, you know, now have a quarterly report card. <laughs> Totally different world. It's really interesting. You know, we're I don't know five or six months in, um, but we have all those things you hear about now: earnings calls, and, you know, disclosures, and all that kind of crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, the funny part is, it's the same. We have a lot of new talent in the in the company, um, but it's the same. It's about getting customers. It's about you know having a value equation, you know, in the market. And, fending off competitors and you know going into expansion and launching new markets and being strategic with capital and all the things that you know you do as a small startup. It's the same game. It's just just a different, bigger game. So so I, I'm doing that now and because as uh, Jeff explained, I'm such a startup junkie. I do have some fun startups here I'm doing. You know, we just opened up this really cool uh, cocktail bar on K Street called Tiger. So I hope you all go. It's really cool. It's basically you know, a fun craft cocktail bar, and when we do a lot of things on dim sum carts, it's really neat. Yeah, super cool. So dim sum carts goes around. It's, it's really fun, a fun spot. And then we're also launching two doors down on K Street, the old Tower Records building. We're launching um, somewhat of an ode to our, one of my mentors, Russ Solomon, the founder of Tower Records, launching Solomon's Delicatessen. Nice. It's going to be super cool. It's a Jewish deli, newish Jewish deli. Uh, it's going to be super good. You know, all the all the really cool classic um, Jewish cuisine, but with you know a little bit more modern technique and, and ingredients. Uh, bar there as well. So that's super fun. Um, I'm also working on a table tennis bar, kind of a knockoff of spin that I'm super excited about. Um, yeah, and so and a few other kind of fun projects. So. Uh, but waiter keeps me busy now. I'm doing that. Uh, my daughter's like a little buddy rock star. Ironically, she's playing music in a band called Destroy Boys. <laughs> Look them up. They're like doing really well. They got a record offer, by the way. They're super good. Yeah, they're really really good. So check them out. Um, and my little son's a, just finished his phrase. Technically a sophomore. Yay. And so hopefully get his ass out of the house so I can be free. Kids. Oh, love my kids. <laughs> And, uh, and that's it, man. You know, life day by day. So that's a little bit about me.
Jason Calcanis and Chris Saka was grilling the shit out of John, which is a co-founder at Blessed, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. So I was wondering if you could um, uh, give us some lessons learned. What is the biggest lesson learned that you uh, you took away uh, going through that accelerator launch program? Sure. So, um, well, I'll start up. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, so some of you may not know who these two guys he's talking about there. Jason Calacanis is a founder himself. He sold his company to AOL back in the 90s. Did well, and then he became a scout for Sequoia Capital, and he's one of the guys who found Uber for Sequoia. So he's like third in on Uber. Now he's got Thumbtack and, and I think Robinhood, and just all these very, very successful companies and, and smaller companies. The lovely thing about Jason is he still believes in venture. You know, as my friend Dan knows, venture's gone in venture capital these days. It seems like who's betting on the moonshots anymore? Um, Jay does. He'll write a hundred thousand dollar, fifty thousand dollar, one million dollar check to like small companies if he likes the team, if he likes the product. So that's him. And then Chris Saka, the Googler, who was pretty famous investor guy. So and very smart. Both these guys are very smart. So um, yeah. The lessons learned, and you said the lessons learned and the value of going through that incubator? Yeah. Um, well, the lessons learned are, it's easy to be really enamored with your team and your company and the things you're doing, especially when the people around you are like really wowed at what you do, because anything you build and launch is gonna be pretty neat. Right? People will shoot holes in it, but they're gonna be like, oh my God, your app is cool, it looks neat, or, and it's, but it's so important to get around people who are like stratospheres beyond where you're at. And the incubator did that, like, I'll give you an example. So I'm sitting there one night and I do my pitch, and, I, and it's with, and I'm in front of, you know, a couple, this is like two times combined in one. One time I'm in front of Josh Hellman. He's like a very early LinkedIn guy. He was this guy who built Facebook Connects that we all use these days. An early engineer in all these huge companies. Now a great lock partner. And I was also in front of Sam Shank, who's the founder of Hotel Tonight, which just sold to Airbnb, right? And like, these are people who are touching literally tens of millions of people. Like, their products. So they've seen like really, really fast spinning flywheels, right? And you're like, oh my god, my product is so cool. And then they'll look at it and they'll say things like so quickly that you're just kind of like, shit, we never thought of that. Because it helps. So one of the best things is like get yourself in front of really successful or really smart or really experienced people in, in your world, you know, whatever world that is. We're in mobile, so mobile. Who who you can really kind of get naked in front of. I mean, like really explore. This is what we're doing. This is what we're trying to do. And like take the feedback. Like really, take, it's hard. Taking feedback's hard because sometimes the feedback is this isn't going to work. It's way too confusing. And a lot of times it is. You're like, but it's not confusing to me. And then you'll show show other people. And these are people who don't really care about you. They don't know you. They're not going to work with you. So they give you really candid feedback. That's like the best thing about the incubator. Um, Second best thing is you really learn how to pitch. Like my first slide deck for requested was 84 slides long. And I raised, hold on, you laugh, I raised off of that, friends and family. I wore them down, I wore them down. They're like, can I leave? I'll give you 25 grand. That actually happened. For real, Rachel Vargas. She literally said, I'll leave, I'll write a check for 25, but can I go? Uh, 
I came out of there and I pitched requests over four slides, you know, raised a good amount of money from really elite folks down there. So you, you learn how to hone your pitch. It's hard, 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 hard. But you learn it's a skill. You can't you don't just get to know that. You have to you have to skill, it's a feedback skill from people who have done it. And then the third thing that's amazing is you get into a network that, you know, it's probably a lot like going to Ivy League colleges. You know, like you gain a network that you don't get. I'll give you an example of that. So Jason took me into Social Capital Partnership, which is one of the best VC firms in the world, not a VC firm anymore, but it's now a single family office. But Jamal Kalpatia, who was like the first growth guy at Facebook ever, um, has this big fund. He did Slack and Airbnb, you know, all the big companies. And it's like, because Jason walks you in, I do my pitch, he goes, oh, this is cool. I know restaurants, how about you doing, Jason? Jason gives a number, he goes, great, I'm in. That was the end of that pitch, he was in. Because of who walked us in, right? So the network is a big is a big effect, especially down the valley, like it really matters. So you're, you're buddies with Jason. How do we get him to Sacramento to possibly speak at a day and get more familiar with what's going on? Is that even possible? Anything's possible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my body language, it's possible. Uh, very unlikely. Um, but it's possible. How do we do it? I don't know. I mean, that's something that, you know, we can all work on figuring out um, to get him to speak of the thing. I mean, it's, it's possible. It's hard. He's super, super busy. It's not just like I'm busy. He's very focused. Like Jason's one of those guys. You know those people you meet? They're just like, it's, it's scary how like together they are. Like he's really focused. And he's really methodical about how he spends his time. Um, now, there may be a reason, so I don't know. Everybody think about that when you're pissed together that. But I'll tell you what, I do have another answer to that, which is I've already gotten two Sacramento companies here funded by JCAP. Grin, which is a social platform, and um, Interdapt, PankOS. So I can help take you there. Um, you know, what we're looking for is, you know, a good team. With, you know, with a product that's in market, you got a little bit of traction. Could be, could be a thousand bucks a month, a customer, like you gotta have some, you gotta have customers. Um, could be half a million a month, I don't know, it's up to you. But his sweet spot is he likes seed, he'll do the A too, and the best way to use Jason is seed, seed right? So seed's gonna be like a hundred grand to a couple million, you know, depending on company. So, so I need to help take all of you there. Um, <laughs> getting up here, getting up here. That's a great question. And you know what I, what I would do, Laura, is you should tweet him that. Say, hey, I was with your buddy Sonny, at Sonny Mayuba. I mean, I'm serious. He will answer you. It's, it's crazy. He'll answer you. Say, what's it going to take to get you to come to Sacramento? Here's a photo of Sonny speaking to our local founders. What's it going to take? And ask him. And if I launch us some yeah, I would recommend. Yeah, Twist is one. Um, they've got a couple conferences, you know, um, launch festival if they can do that. But he has a scale. podcast with investors. Yep. It's really good. And there's another one out of this group about scaling your business. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Yes. Uh, I was director of launch. 
there. You did pretty well. You can get it on TV. There you go. You were a director there? Yeah. Oh, when? So, uh, 2017. And, uh, 17, cool. Met a few times, uh, Price. Oh, yeah. 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 I know Jill. Yeah, yeah, Jill. Um, Where is she? Bork. Jill Bork. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, cool. Cool. Uh, hi, so um, I'm the founder of a company called Looker. Looker. Yeah, it's a, it's a mobile app to help people find the uh, hairstylist based on the curl pattern of their hair. Okay. And someone that has experience styling their hair. And so I'm in this situation where we just went to market, like it's on iOS. Yep. And we're getting, we have features that we're building, and then like, have users and they say, oh, do you have this? And then yep. we're trying to decide, we only have like limited staff, like we only have maybe four or five of us. We have to decide, what are we going to build? Are we going to stay on implementing maybe our AV gateway or are we going to just implement this feature, yep. you know, that they just requested? Yep. And they're, they're like, hey, we want to use it, but we need this feature. Yep. And so like, how do you decide? <laughs> What's the most important? How do you decide? So how many... How many people, you say it's a mobile app on iOS only? Mobile app, yeah, right now. Okay, Which so like, so we're trying to build Android right now. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with this. Yeah. How many people are initializing the app on a weekly basis? Meaning no, opening it? No, 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 no. Zero? Yeah, I only lost like 14 days ago. So zero have launched it? You have no downloads? No. Okay, zero downloads. Yeah, okay. zero downloads. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So. The way you decide, well, right now in your stage, I mean, it's 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 anecdotes. All you can do if you have no, the, the real answer is data. You got to look at all. You got to track your events that are happening in your app. Okay. You know, you can use Facebook Analytics to do that, or whatever Amplitude, or whatever you're using to manage app events. Okay. And then just look at the, look at how people are truly using your app. Because here's here's a little secret. People will tell you one thing, and then they'll do another. Okay. Okay. So, but you're. If, you have, if, you have, if you're this early, first, what I would do is I would get like, well, I'll tell you something that we did at requested when we were really early. Is we made a little Facebook group with actually Laura was in it, Brian was in it. We called it the Facebook Insiders Club or, or in requested inside found, requested founders club. And it was like 30 of my friends, and I said, look, I'm begging you to use this app. Like I'm literally begging you. Please use it. And they give us feedback. And that was like our best thing. It was it was really candid feedback, because here's what happened. Most people didn't use it. Now, you're begging your friends to use it, and they don't use it, that's a big data point. <laughs> and then the friends that did use it come and tell you, hey, here's here's what, here's what my experience, what happened. And then the next level is you watch the app, the app data. But right now, what I would tell you is try to get 10 friends and force them to use it. You know, just say, look, I'll pay you to use this thing, and then try to look at the data and see what happens. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so you actually, it sounds like you had a, you had an opportunity to get twenty five million dollars funding at one point. Then, That's what they said. You know, you never know. <laughs> check. But yeah, I mean, you went, yeah. but you didn't take that route. And you, you know, you actually went to another route later, and then you got to public. In hindsight, do you think you, you lucky you didn't take that twenty five million, uh, or you wish, you know, maybe a, yeah. maybe you take that twenty five million, you know, uh, uh, request it would have been a different answer. That's a really great question. Yeah, I mean, I think if we had taken the money, um, you know, there's no saying that we wouldn't have burned it that fast anyway. You know, money's a weird thing. Just because your runway today might be five grand a month or maybe a little team has 20 grand a month for cash burn, and you think, oh my God, if we got 25 million bucks, we'd still be 20 grand a month. You won't. 
you'll, you'll add some zeros to that because you'll hire engineers, you get a new office, all these things happen that just change the world. So, you know, I, I think if I would have done that, this outcome that I'm in today wouldn't have happened. I, I, I mean, we would have obviously hired more people, maybe moved to the Bay, um, maybe, you know, we were asked to leave, we were asked to live down there, and like, I think that was a good decision I made. Like my rent here was a thousand bucks a month total with everything. So of course down there, you know, it's, it's we would have been out of business. And had we not stayed alive a little longer, I wouldn't have found a way to, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know all things being equal, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. You know, especially the the public stock market thing is a really unique. I don't think we would have taken requests there. You know, um, that's been a unique experience. That's pretty rare. So but yeah, it's hard to know. Yeah. All right. So, I actually, you're in a very market. Any what? Crowd? Oh, very. You've got like uh, Uber Eats and close meetings. In fact, you guys been here for a while. And I actually, I, I didn't know what happened to you guys. But I thought maybe you guys went away. So I was actually glad to hear that you did really, really well. So the question is like, how do you, how did you do so well in this crowd market? Sure. Well, what he's talking about is we're in the food delivery space, and it's it's more crowded than you even know. So in Europe, they've already gone through the consolidation. You know, there's like Deliveroo, Just Eats. There's basically four players in Europe. Every country has food delivery in Europe, Asia. It's already set, and they basically like trade countries. It's a trip over there. It's totally different. Totally different. They're like, hey, we don't really want Germany anymore. Fine, you can have it, but give us Turkey. And it's a trip. And it's just starting consolidated. You know, over here, people think, oh, there's Uber and Grub and DoorDash and Postmates. Well, no, no. There's 286 food delivery services in America. Still. I mean, there's just tons, right? Now, most of those are very insignificant. So when he says crowded, what he means is, you know, in most cities, you've got five decent options that all have a lot of, a lot of selection. So how did we make it through a breakthrough? <coughs> Especially way more funded than we were. Um, it was really pretty simple for us. The first thing was a really clear strategy on where we were going. So we decided early on that we were going to take down what, has anybody read Red Ocean, Blue Ocean, the book? Blue Ocean, Red Ocean, where it's been a while, but you know the book. So basically the premise of the book is a red ocean is like sharks fighting, and that's a competitive market, and blue ocean is you know, there's a bunch of fish with no sharks, so go gobble it up, right? It's just basically, we'd all like to go where there's no competition. Well, what we uncovered in early 2017, and really in the 20, early, really late 2016, was we figured out that there was all this blue ocean in America that nobody wanted. And it was interesting, we actually met with a guy named Casey Winters in mid-2016, who was Grubhub's first marketing person ever. You know, if, if you like growth or you're into growth stack, follow Casey Winters. Amazing, amazing mind. And he, he was Grubb's first guy and he was at Airbnb. And basically, he told us flat out in 2016, he goes, Grubb doesn't want your markets, Baton Rouge, Lafayette, Hattiesburg, you know, Athens. They, they, they are more concerned with getting a percentage up in New York City than they are with all these little markets. And we would, aha. Because as it turns out, there's hundreds and hundreds of these cities. So our strategy right away was, let's go gobble up the Hattiesburgs, Mississippis, the Mobile, Alabamas, the ones that all the big fancy Silicon Valley ones didn't want. 
and we just went and snatched them up. And as it turns out, these places like Lake Charles and you know um, Shreveport, Louisiana, and, and Tuscaloosa, Alabama, guess what? They sound like the flyover states, but you know what? It's sophisticated people who make lots of money with iPhones and Androids who want to eat and own homes and own cars. They're just like us in California. They just live out there. <laughs> I mean, no, and I'm saying that self-aware. Like, I was like, I didn't know this existed. You know, I never been this and they've got all this, and you know, it's, it's the dawning internet, right? So they have all this internet and access, but dude, nobody was paying attention to those markets, right? So, so they're all out there looking online, going, "Man, dude, this is crazy. There's all this cool stuff happening, and we can't get it in our town." So when we would launch Waiter in a market, I'm not kidding you guys. It would literally be like we took email to like a new city. Like, then people just lost their shit. Like, oh my god, I can get restaurants that I love delivered to my house. I don't bring the food. Oh my god, and it's on a mobile app. And they just thought it was the craziest thing. And our growth looked like that, the proverbial hockey Like, we got to, I got to experience that finally. Like, it was like, just crushing growth. Couldn't keep up with it. It was so nuts. So really, like, that strategy was really the key that, you know, that, and then there was a bunch of other things I think under that umbrella. You know, we went W2 drivers, which means, basically what that means is in the gig economy, you can go contractor, which means you can't schedule, you can't tell them what to do, what to wear, what to, how to be, or you can hire people, more expensive, but you can manage the hospitality. So we made that bet, which I think was a good bet still. Um, so we uniform drivers, stripped them, hot bags, all the things we required. So a service quality element was a big piece of our waiter sort of strategy. Um, and then you know all our, all our tech stack and you know everything with, with our technology way of working. But really, I think I think the primary kicker, and that's still our, our strategy, is really those small you know dominate small to medium sized markets. You know? Go go where your competitors aren't, and that could be a geography or could be could be a strategy or something else. You know, so. Yeah. So uh, we hear from a lot of founders who have a great idea and they want to get investment to build their MVP. Yep. And we're not really in a place right now where investors will invest in you to build your At least that's what okay. What's your advice to them? How do you, what's the work for you? How sure. can you build an MVP without investment How can you build an MVP without any capital? Okay. So the short answer is you got to do it yourself with the right team. Right? And there's a couple ways to do that. You're, talking, you're probably talking mostly technology, right? Mobile. So there's two ways to do it, I think, in my opinion. Um, the best way is get good co-founders. Like you gotta find tech. Like when I, I I thought of requested, it was my idea 100% by myself. I was drinking a beer in San Francisco and I had this idea, this flash. And then what I did was I had I went and found three technical co-founders. I'm not technical. I mean I know tech, but I'm not a coder. I'm not an engineer. So I went and I, I found three software engineers who wanted to join this journey. It took me, dude, it took me like nine months to find three engineers who were willing to come. I only found two and they brought one with them. So my three co-founders, but I was adamant that this time I was gonna get software engineers as co-founders, so technically. Now, that's the best way. Then, then you know what? You can build an MVP on weekends and nights. You can have a job and you can build a little MVP. Okay. If that doesn't work, then the best way is you gotta like draw it. I mean, you gotta bring it to life somehow. You know, like 
tell the story and you know go found a, go find a co-founder. Uh, I, I mean, I don't see people very much funding ideas anymore. We're kind of past that stage mm. in technology. Um, so the best thing is you got to put together a team. You got to put together a team. Yep. So I remember this from, I think you spoke a long time ago at the, at the Red Rabbit. Red Rabbit? Red Rabbit, uh, yeah. And you had mentioned that you actually got your first round based off your wireframes. That's right. And so I actually, when I talk to clients that don't have funding, yeah. that I actually always use you. So oh, good. Great guy. Yeah. got his first funding yeah. for doing wireframes. And I encourage people, that's the first step. It is the first, and it is. I mean, you need, you need user interfaces anyway. So build some user bases and tell the story because it's really hard. Everybody has a pitch and you go, here's what happens. You're telling people and like people are listening, but it's hard for the human brain to understand, especially when you're disrupting something. Mm -hmm. So you got to have wireframes to tell your story. It does this. You know, it's like a little mini product that doesn't work, you know? So, yeah. On a scale of one to ten, how lucky are you and why? Ten. And what's the question? He said, on a scale of one to 10, how lucky are you? I said, 10. And then why? That's, a, that's the why, I don't know. <laughs> I just am. <laughs> so one of my favorite books of all time is uh, Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Yeah. You just talked recently about um, finding great founders. Um, I was wondering, if, like, what would you do in this situation if you found some founders that you want to start your company with, but bad things did happen because the world is, is cruel. Like, let's say one of your um, your co-founders developed the coke habit and he wasn't a team player. How would you go about the situation of, of firing or finding um, or making that hard decision? Yeah, what that's, to do? That's, I don't know if you guys heard that question, but he's saying if your co-founder develops a coke habit, what do you do? Or yeah. if they're just a bad person. Yeah. Best thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hence the founder message. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's a very... Very personal decision. Um, I believe that, you know, we've all heard this really famous quote, you know, products change, people don't. So if you discover that the core values of your co-founders don't align with yours, probably time to separate. Dan? I want to go ahead and ask this question. As an Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, it was an interesting story. You know, we we were growing so fast, and you know, as you know, when your company's growing really fast, it has an insatiable hunger for growth and capital. You know, capital for growth, which takes more capital. So you have to decide: Are you a value company and just got to slow down? Because we can slow down and just be profitable, or you want to grow. So first, you got to make that decision. So. You know, it, making that decision takes more people. And so we enlisted an investment banker, and you know, they have a wide spectrum of companies they've dealt with over the years. And as we were doing that, we were kind of talking to other entities. You know, what happened was um, our story got across Tillman Fertitta's desk. Tillman Fertitta is a guy who actually started with one restaurant as well. And he now owns the Houston Rockets and the Golden Nugget, like 800 rest. He's just a big, big time business guy. Um, and and he, this is a little technical, but basically he and one of his partners had something that was called a SPAC. SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company. In the old days, they called it a shell company. 
So, um, which isn't a negative thing. It's basically an entity that has, um, you know, has, is, is, has the ability to take a company public, and it has capital and the ability to do that. So as we were weighing out sort of where we could go, it was really the affiliation with Tillman, who's a hospitality guy, you know, um, and being a part of that family of the Landry's Hospitality Corporation, plus the Houston Rockets Toyota Center Corporation, plus the Gold Nugget Casino Corp, and, you know, all that they bring. And he owns 100% of all that. And then to be under that sort of that umbrella and be public, um, we really weighed the decision. That's a great question. We, we thought about it a lot because, as you know now, even they're saying some companies should have stayed private longer. Um, but it's tough. You know, a lot of the reason, too, is to Rich's question, it's a crowded space. You know, so you don't want to be left out in the cold either. <laughs> and say, we're just gonna keep growing, we're gonna win, and then you discover you don't win. You know, you, you never think that as a founder, but you have to consider those things. So it was a really, really great opportunity. You know, it was the right partner uh, with the right vehicle. You know, it gave us some, some liquidity, lots of capital, lots of upside, and, um, and you know, to be on the NASDAQ with Apple and all those other companies, we kind of just said, you know, all those things combined, or it was all those things combined that made it the right decision for us. So, question, how many people that's a question. Yeah, that's a question. Uh, well, three over there. Really? Respect your time. One more. Oh no, I'm cool. I'm I'm good. So, I'm good for the night. So. Just have like a few more. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, so a Quick question for you. When you said took nine months to find your technical co-founders, yep. what, was the, what process did you go through to do that? I mean, you know, were you going about like this? Or, I mean, what's the? Sure. I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, He's asking, what was the process to find my first technical co-founder? You know, it was it was like um, asking. It, what I would do was, I remember the first person I told was a guy I knew up in Lake Tahoe who was in the consumer tech world. He was actually a little bit B2B, but he was doing some real estate tech or something like that. And, and I just knew that he was in tech. Yeah. And so I told him, I said, hey, I got this killer idea. The, the first answer is, Tell everyone you can imagine and everyone you know your idea. Early on in my early stages as an entrepreneur, I think younger entrepreneurs know this now, but in my early days, it was always like, dude, don't tell anyone your idea. Stupidest thing in the world. Like, tell everyone you can because it's so hard to build. It's so hard to make it. And if someone steals your idea, just go join them. <laughs> Seriously. It's so hard. It's just so hard. So... I kind of started there, and I'm like, okay, let me just tell anybody who I think might listen to my ideas. So I sat this guy, Dave LaPlante, down, and I told him, he's like, dude, this is a pretty cool idea. Then I called Mark Otero, who I knew how to exit here, and he's in tech. I said, hey, Mark, check this idea out. He's like, wow, that's really cool. I go, you know anyone? He's like, nope. You, know, you just get a lot of no's. And then I would just tell anybody I could come across, like, oh, this guy's a, I found this guy who was a web developer. It was John Schumann, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, let me tell you this idea. We went to lunch. I go, let me tell you this thing. He was like, huh. And then, and then I go, hey, why don't you come over? He goes, hey, I want to come over with another. He brought another engineer. He goes, I want this guy to hear your idea. So they came to my house on a Saturday. And I said, here's how it works. I think you could do this. And I don't want to oversell you, but you know, I think it could be awesome and huge. And, and you, know, you just keep telling people. And finally, someone, they, those guys were like, huh, well, how do we start? And it was funny. They were kind of like, I don't know if I want to do it. I'm just don't know if I'm into the idea. Right? And I was like, cool. I go, well, think about it, right? So here's what happened. The dude he brought fucking did all these interfaces on his own because he liked the idea. And he was really quiet. Yeah. 
And so then he calls me up and he goes, hey, you want to meet again on a Saturday at your house, have a beer? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then he walks in with all these interfaces. And of course, when you see well-designed interfaces of your idea, you just like, gosh. You know? And I'm like, please join me. And that ended up being my two co-founders. Yeah. Cool. So John didn't move along to Waiter, is that right? John came on board with Waiter. He was there for, I don't know, we think here. He was there out of eight or ten months and then, then moved out. So is he looking for a new startup? He's, He's doing a new startup. Yeah. yeah. He's doing a new startup. Yeah. Oh, he is doing one. Yeah, but John, I mean, that's the great thing is find people that are local. Like my co-founder, John, he lives in Roseville. You know, now he's got like kids and dogs, and he's never leaving, dude. Oh. <laughs> you know, so and I'm talking little kids. You know, he's got like two or three kids and two or three dogs, and so, so you know, those those guys, you know, you're always people are always looking for cool projects and ideas, but but the thing is too, they you know engineers hang out with other engineers, mm. and so they make like that's what happened to me with John is he brought you know this guy and then another girl, and that ended up being my team. Yes. Well, what was the hardest question um, a fan, um, an, an angel or a VC person has asked you, and how did you answer it? Mm. Mm-hmm. So he's asking, what's the hardest question a VC or an angel has asked? The hardest question? About requested. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the hardest questions, early on when we were in dream stage, when we were building for the incubator, um... You know, the questions weren't really that hard. I always had answers to the questions. Here's the hardest question. Is when you're launched and your product's not working and you're trying to figure out why, and then you go out to raise. Because you need you need to stay alive. You come talk about it's really hard. Like I was in actually J Cal brought back a place he found, I think, Uber. He used to do this thing called Angel Fuck what was it called? It's where they get burgers and beers at Jason's living room, ten companies. And a bunch of angel investors. Angel Summit? No, it was called Angel Party or Angel Summit or other. Angel Something. But anyway, he was, you know, he's always trying to help founders. Like he knew, because I was in batch one, and all of batch one wasn't doing well. Mm. So he's like, he's always trying to help. So he goes, okay, I'm inviting these 10 companies that need help. And he brought in, you know, homebrew and some really good firm funds. Yeah. Cyan for founders. A lot, a lot of, yeah, and you're just chilling in a room like one-fifth the size of this, drinking beers and eating burgers with people who have $50 million checks. And you're, and you're pitching, and they're like, you know, they're asking you hard questions about, you know, what are you going to do here, and why is that working? And the thing is, you haven't figured it out. You don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest question is when you don't have a real answer. It's really hard. It's really hard. But you keep doing it. Keep dancing. <laughs> 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 That's a great question right now. Uh, would I do it again? Probably. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's funny you say that because yeah, some people are leaving later now, and like John started a new thing, and um, no. you know, it's probably in my blood, in my genes. You know, I think I probably would. Um, right now, at this moment. I don't feel like doing it again. You know, pretty tired. And also, I, you know, I'm now responsible for you know a lot of the growth of, of the company, and and of course all the marketing, customer acquisition, which is a big, big leg of the stool of growth. So you know, I'm still on the journey. So I haven't really thought about doing another project. But do I have ideas? Do I, I love like? Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. I the Folsom thing, I barely made it, and then the 
EV thing, I was like, this is a really cool potential marketplace. Like, I love this, and I drive an electric car. So I was like, I love this idea. And of course, you know, I go away and I go, like, dude, we can make this work. And I'm like, wait, no, I can't. You're all in a company? Um, and yeah, it's, it's fun. But yeah, the answer, so the answer's probably yes. The answer's probably yes. But, you know, I gotta, I gotta get through this journey. It's gonna be a little bit. I have a people over there. Yeah, come on, you guys, the voyeurs. Come on, voyeurs. <laughs> while you're thinking, right. while you're thinking. So, oh, wait, Chris is young. So, Sonny, I, I, I'm a Barry native, and I, I came here to start my software company, which is an idea when we first met uh, at the Academy. And so recently I won the Big Bang, and, and it's weird because it was just an idea to be an example for other young entrepreneurs, and I kept following the evidence. You know, I, I joined these competitions to get practice in pitching, and all of a sudden, I'm getting recognition. And so now I have three customers that want to pilot it, and like, only S-H-I-A-T. <laughs> I haven't developed anything, but I have the prototype. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a matter of, of being able to um, tell the story, understand the problem, and be able to play it back and, and have somebody pay you to solve their problem. So it's a great validation. So my question is, um, I haven't tapped any of my contacts in the Bay Area because I feel like it's like asking friends for money. Yep. Uh, what I'm trying to test right now uh, is, is it possible to get substantial funding in this ecosystem? In the Sacramento ecosystem? Exactly. You raise money yeah. in the Bay Area. So. I've raised money here, too. Okay. Yeah. Um, what, what are some advice that you may have for me? I would call out all my friends right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm serious. I mean, I think, I think it's like, look, if, if, it's, if it's a company you're starting that you believe in, yes. if you don't believe in it, don't call your friends. Mm. I mean, yeah. well, you know, look, yeah. look. The people who are going to invest in an early stage idea know the risks. If they don't know the risks, they shouldn't be investing, right? So if you're a founder and you believe in what you're doing, you, you don't have to necessarily ask them for money today. Unless, are you in fundraising right now? Are you fundraising right now? Uh, so, uh, in a way, uh, what I'm testing out... That's a yes or no question? Yes, I am. Okay, so, you are, so if you're fundraising right now, then... You should be calling your friends and letting them know the round is open and here's what you're doing and you'd like them to take a look at it. I mean, you really should. Now, the second half of your question is, is there money here in Sacramento? I think so. I mean, obviously there's not nearly the amount of investors as there are down there. And especially now because now all these people exiting these big companies are starting funds, right? Mm. Like the girls from Facebook who have the... Seven girls from Facebook fund. Like, there's like that. I mean, there's so many investors in the Bay. Mm. So you all should be down there shopping yourself. Like, you totally should. Don't just raise here. Raise in Chuck. Raise anywhere you can. Yeah. Like, anybody that will take a meeting with you, go out there and, and pitch, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think there's funds. I know Manetta writes checks here. Um I'm not sure of the activity. I don't know if these guys are up on Crunchbase and do that, but I know, you know, there, but there's also, I know that there are friends and family rounds here. I mean, there are, there are people that will invest. So you got to just tell people and ask and, and try to raise. I, I would do it. So uh, a second part to that, um, what do you think about uh, equity crowdfunding? Equity crowdfunding, like, um, oh yeah, what's the big one that just got bought? Um, you're talking about like, uh, help me with the big two. 
Indigo. No, 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 not Indigo. No. We funder, yeah, we funder and that came from the yeah, the one where it's actual equity from non-accredited investors. Yes. Yeah, that's different than Indigo Kickstarter. Those are more the project-based things. You get your name on a movie or something. like that. This is where you actually get equity in the company, and you can also the key is you can be a non-accredited investor. Um, what do I think of those? Those are great. They're really cool. I mean, use there's like two real reputable ones, and I'm sorry the name is, is leaving me here, but I'll remember it all. We funders one. Yeah, there's a really nice big one that um, has had some really neat things. They're, they're, they haven't really produced any great companies that are meaningful yet. And I'm not sure what the investor base looks like. However, back to JCal, he instituted that one big one again. Seed Invest. Thank you. Seed Invest. So Seed Invest is now, they do launch festival. So if you're an attendee, you can invest in the, the companies like requested that are pitching there. And you can invest like a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks. I mean, it's kind of a cool bet. Like you might get a thousand bucks on an Uber. It could happen, right? Uh, it's pretty rare, but it could happen. So they're pretty neat. I mean, I think if you think that's the road you want to go, yeah. I think they're they're worth trying. Yeah. I think there's still some rulemaking that's waiting to happen in Congress regarding equity crowdfunding. Still legal, but there's yeah. some clumsiness to it, and yeah. I think that's why it has to take off. Yeah. Oh, well, on uh, the one of the, the the Twist podcasts that I was um, watching with Simon Bannister and Jason, they were talking about um, one of one of the, the founders committing suicide uh, because he felt uh, the pressures of like not failing. So I was wondering, um, like, it, it's not for the faint of heart starting your own company, being a founder. What what kept you from pushing on instead of going off the deep end, like some have chosen? That's that's a very meaningful question, and it's getting worse too. I think social media is feeding this, and it's like mm-hmm. all these large successes. People have this vision that it's like. Um, and I have the same vision. I'm going to start this app, and we're going to be the next Airbnb. Like, it's going to happen. Yeah. You don't realize it's this really long, grindy road yeah. where you have to really focus on the fundamentals of the product and customers. Let me, let me emphasize that. The product and customers. Like, that's the only thing you should focus on. And to do that takes a team. If you can just focus on those three things, you'll get somewhere. Or you won't get somewhere, which you'll know, you're, you know you've got to go somewhere else, right? Uh, I, you know, I think trying to keep yourself in reality. I mean, you do some stress relief stuff, you know, um, you're right game. <laughs> uh, you do some stress relief stuff, but you have to remember, you, you really have to remember, like, you know, we were, in, in my batch, we got to meet with, um, oh, darn it, what's his name? But he's, he was one of the founders of Reddit, who, his co-founder, in the early days, committed suicide, and... And it was a conversation, it was interesting, and it was it was this pressure, this feeling of like, I have to perform at this crazy level. Like, you know, the Zuckerberg level is very, very rare. Like it's it's that's unicorn for real. Like it doesn't happen. And it doesn't have to happen, right? Um, you have to keep a perspective that your company's not your life. You know, it's a big part of your life, especially like as founders, we're birthing something that doesn't exist. And that's, a, that's an amazing feeling. But 
you know, I kind of felt that feeling when we did our first alpha. We did our first alpha and like the app worked. We had Red Rabbit, Bows and Arrows, and um, Morgan's. Two of those restaurants were coming. Morgan's burned down and Bows and Arrows closed. And, and it worked, like we had it working in the back patio of Red Rabbit and people were like making a commerce, like we were exchanging money through our mobile application and it was the best feeling in the world. You gotta kind of hold on to those things and like remember that, you know, getting anywhere is, is, a, is a success. Like just getting somewhere along the journey is a success. It may not be the billion dollar unicorn, but you got somewhere. You know, you're gonna meet, meet people along the way. It's all connections to your next thing. So you gotta keep that perspective, you know. That's not, it's not your whole life. Your life is living and your family and your friends and enjoying, you know. It's not becoming a publicly traded company. That's just a fucking byproduct. One last question. Who is not? That's a question. Yes, sir. Last question for me. Thank you, everyone. Thanks again for giving us your story, your insights, your process. It was really illuminating for the My question is specifically about the tipping point between this, this being a past time of yours to being your full time grind. Like, when did you put your day job and develop your full attention? Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of the story. Um, so it's crazy. We're doing requested. Now remember, I've been a founder before. Yeah, had some wins, had some losses. So it affects your psychology, right? And so I was working at a job, and it was a good job. I had a great position, you know, kind of high up at this like hundred-person company, uh, making decent money here in town, and. Um, you know, had this epiphany of this idea for requesting, right? By the way, I had that idea in 2012. I didn't build it until like um, 2013, we had built a little little prototype. That was the alpha I was talking about. So I'm doing my job, I'm trying to work on my startup, you know, nights and weekends, just like we all do, right? And as I'm going through this thing, it's kind of getting a little further down the road. By this point, I had had my co-founders. We all had jobs. And what happened was, um, we, it was interesting. We, one, of, one of my investors in the Red Rabbit, actually, saw it. And he goes, that's pretty cool. I go, yeah, I'm trying to work on this thing, man. I'm trying to figure it out. And he goes, you know, you need to form this and like get a formation to protect this thing. I'm like, really? You know, I was just kind of tinkering at that point. So we did, so we formed it and kind of got it together. And um, and then at that, it was like somewhere along that line where it was, it, the idea was starting to get a little bit of a life of its own. We weren't rushing it. We were truly focusing on the product. We were just building interfaces, you know, going to Starbucks on nights, going to Starbucks on weekends, and you know, building this little alpha, trying to make the payment system work and the bidding system, making the whole thing work in a closed loop system, right? We were using Ruby as a back end and, and we were trying to, we had to build it on web so, and we, because we weren't building natives, we were using a wrapper. So all the technical, we were focusing on the tech, right? And I was out doing like customer interviews, would you use this, getting, getting information together. And it was starting to like build and we were, start, we were like, starting to go like, oh, this looks like a pretty good idea. This could work. And, and what happened was, 
you know, I was talking to this guy, his name's Dave, and I was talking to him, and he goes, you know, at some point, you guys are going to have to focus on this full time, you know, but, but keep, keep getting down the road. What happened was, I, re- I came to this conclusion, I realized, I went, you know what, we're hitting a wall, and we're never going to progress further. Like, we've, got, we've gotten the thing pretty far. We're never going to get to the next step if we don't dedicate full time at it. Okay? And so we said, I, I got an idea. Got an idea. We're going to say, F the man, we're going to quit our day jobs. And we're going to work on our, our startup full time. Right? So the first realization was the product wasn't going to evolve anymore unless we dedicated full time to it. But we got to eat. Baby got to eat. Right? So how are we going to pay bills and eat and you know, all that stuff? We said, okay, it's cool. We're going to freelance. And what we're going to do is we're going to work on our startup full-time during the day, and we'll freelance at night. So we'll give our best cycles to our, our company, and we'll give our secondary cycles to you know, the, side, the side hustle. You know. They're engineers. They can do some side games. I, I can go talk some game, get some strategy, or do whatever I got to do, right? So we did, and it was really interesting. We, we quit our jobs. You know, our bosses were like, you know, God damn you, you quit your jobs. All right, fine. So we quit our jobs. And you know, we got a couple, we got a couple local clients. And it was like, this is awesome. And like the first couple months, we just worked on the startup all day long. And then the clients started to build because we're all pretty talented. And like the phone starts ringing, the words on the street, oh, you're available. Suddenly I had five or eight clients. Then they had 10 or 15 clients. And, and it was like, it was this crazy shift. We're going through it, and suddenly the thing went like this, bonk, back to like all the clients' needs. You need to do it, because you gotta pay your bills. I got kids, but you know, now your startup's in the back seat again. And so, and then, and then it was like, okay, are we gonna do this or not? And we had gotten the product further, but we hit the exact same wall. The wall was, we have client needs, and you know, you gotta pay your bills, and we already committed to the clients, you know, to build their little software gig or do their little strategy session or whatever. And our, our, our product is, is pausing again. And so that's when, that's when we said we need to raise venture capital. And so we did a friends and family round. We raised the money here and we fully quit our jobs. And, and our, first, our first round we raised 270 grand. We paid ourselves five grand a month. So you can do the math on that. That's a pretty long runway. You know? okay. Not a, lot of, not a lot of money, but it's enough to pay your bills, right? And, you know, we did that with some wireframes and our little product, and that's what got us on the road. So it was a little bit of a process through that, you know. You'll, you'll know it, I mean, but you got to be honest with yourself. It's the product and customers. And then you'll know when you're hitting that wall and you can't develop anymore, it means you need to dedicate more time to your product. <coughs> 